And Father, what a blessing it is that you are our living hope. It's not just something that that we're just hoping for, but there's a surety to that. And the surety to it is tied up in who you are and what you've done and all that you continue to do. So we just so look forward to that day that we are with you. But as for today, Lord, I pray, especially tonight, teaching and instructing that you would show us the things necessary for holiness and righteousness in your sight. And so, Lord, once again, just bless us, teach us and instruct us to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Neighbors, hey, the insurance is supposedly in place. So the insurance is in place. I asked the pastor quite a while ago, who has quite a bit more experience than I do, and I asked him, should... We have service on Super Bowl Sunday. It would be a good time to give people off and, you know, just service will be down and and whatnot. And he goes, you know, your people are probably excited that you do meet on Super Bowl Sunday night. They probably tell people that, you know, our church is still meeting on Super Bowl Sunday night. He says, now, they won't come, but they're excited. Well, you know what? There needs to be excitement. How many people are necessary for a Bible study? Just one. And we have so much more than that that God has provided tonight. And you know what? I have nothing against those who have taken tonight off. I pray that they enjoy family and friends. Uh, Pray that they would be a witness. But as for us, we've gathered here tonight. So let's get into God's word. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 10. 2 Chronicles chapter 10. I have chosen to entitle this study, The Boehm Boy. We'll see two people with similar names, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, although they're on opposite sides, if you will. Previously, last week, we saw the end of Solomon's reign. We saw the end of Solomon's life in chapter Uh, 9 verse 31 it says then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place and so Solomon's dead his son sits on the throne at this point but I can imagine on Solomon's deathbed I, I can imagine the things that a person thinks about during that time of their life But how much more so if God had given you a message that was probably fairly disturbing? It had to be upon your mind as you died, especially Solomon with the message that he received. His son Rehoboam should have considered this also as he made the decisions he did if in fact Solomon had told him. But we saw last week that Solomon did what was completely contrary to God's word as he multiplied wives, riches, and horses. And the end result of all of this, he was told by God in 1 Kings 11.35, but I will take the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom out of your son's hand. And so there had to be something very distressing about this, this joyful time, not so much his death, but at least for his son, taking over the kingdom and this responsibility, Solomon knowing that this kingdom is going to be taken, and it's going to be taken from my son. Matter of fact, we see that God, God has already laid the groundwork. We see this over in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26, it says, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, so keep in mind, it can be confusing, there's his son, Rehoboam, 
but there's also this young man, Jeroboam. Jeroboam is no relation to Solomon or his son, but he is just a man who is doing well in the kingdom, at least at the point of chapter uh, 11 of 1 Kings, verse 26. And Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruhah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the, saint, the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way and he clothed him with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I has chosen of all the tribes of Israel. Down to verse 38. Then it shall be, if you will heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight and to keep my statutes. Now this is God speaking to Jeroboam. To keep all of my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, apparently heard about this, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Israel to Shishank, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And so God has given this young man, Jeroboam, this promise. Solomon finds out. So what's Solomon doing by attempting to kill this man? Instead of repenting before God, he's trying to manipulate the situation. And I think all of us who've been saved for any length of time, we know you cannot manipulate, you cannot force the hand of God. Also, what we see here is, is a reminder of the influence that we can have on our future generations as well. God has chosen those in this room, our parents, to set a standard in which we never change, in which there's no retreat and there's no surrender, that we would continue to walk in godliness and in holiness, and that would be an example to our children and to our children's children. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. It's not that the future generations are going to be cursed by God because of that person, but the idea is as a person lives a godless life, if you were able to visit that family later, even in the third and fourth generations, you would see the effects that that person would have upon the life of his descendants. And so what we need to see is, again, is the influence that we're able to have. And I see that in my, in my grandchildren. And I pray, if God is gracious to me, I may be able to see that in my great-grandchildren. But my wife and I, we have a great responsibility to maintain the witness that we have poured into our children, and our children have taken up that mantle. There's always failures, there's always stumbling and falling, and they would pass that on to their children as well. And so 
we need to embrace this responsibility. And when are we done? We're not done until God calls us home. And if they're not walking right with the Lord today, there's always that opportunity for them to repent and get right. Because once again, it's our witness that continues to minister even after the day that we close our eyes here on this earth. In Christ, just as we just sang, there's always a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, trusting in God for the future. I trust in God for my future and that he will always be with me, never leave me nor forsake me, but that time that he has truly gone to prepare a place for me, but also the future of my descendants. And so again, going back to Solomon on his deathbed, can you imagine this is going to occur to my son because of my disobedience to God? Solomon, because of how God has blessed him, should have realized the graciousness of God, how he used his father, David, and David, this little shepherd boy, and wrote such rich psalms, also is a man who murdered somebody and committed adultery with the man's wife. And so we see how gracious God is and how forgiving God is. He should have clung to that, but he didn't. So before his death, Solomon expressed some concerns I wonder if his concerns were based upon his observed life or the observed life of his sons. Now, keep in mind, with the thousands of, well, thousand women that King Solomon had, if you have that many wives and concubines, you're going to produce quite a few children. And this is why it's not God's will, big part of the reason why it's not God's will. Why does God even have marriage so that we would raise up godly offspring? We see that in Malachi chapter 2. But what is Solomon doing? You can't possibly minister to that many children as far as the father of the house. And even in this man's life, Rehoboam, he had to see something there that kind of distressed him as well. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon would later write in chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, Then I hated all my labor and was under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all of my labor in which I have toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. So he's wanting to leave this legacy, but he sees the man who is going to take up the legacy, Rehoboam. Not only that, but he's aware of God's word and what God has told him had to be very distressing again as he was on his deathbed. Far be it from us that we would die as Solomon did. What is issue at issue here is character and integrity. Solomon forfeited it, and it's going to be seen in the life of his son and even some future descendants, because character and integrity, just as a lack of it, it within itself is inherited. It doesn't just come through osmosis, though. It's got to be something that is worked at. It's something we implement to our children. I read this story of Andrew Murray. It says, in the family of Andrew Murray of South Africa, 11 children grew to adult life. Five of the sons became ministers, and four of the daughters ministers' wives. The next generation had still more striking record in that ten grandsons became ministers, and thirteen became missionaries. The secret of his unusual contribution to the Christian ministry was attributed to the godliness of their Christian home. They just did what God had called them to do. And I would imagine, I would imagine there was the hard times, there were the times of struggle as we all struggle as, uh, as parents. 
I imagine there was failure. There was times when it seemed like this would never go right. When one seems like he's finally walking right, then the other one kind of goes upside down. But when all is said and done, we see that they stood up, and I guarantee you our work will not go unrewarded. So what was the character of this man, Rehoboam? Well, in the next few chapters tonight, we're going to see it wasn't as good. Keep in mind, David had issues. Solomon had problems, but we're going to see Rehoboam, he had a mess. And because of how he dealt with it, he dealt with it. Well, we'll see his character. The kingdom was split. Now, keep in mind, Israel is 12 kingdoms. God had in that picture with the prophet approach uh, Jeroboam. He had that garment that he had given him and told him to tear it in 12 pieces, gave 10 to him. That was picture that you are going to get 10 tribes. It's the 10 northern tribes, and that is referred to as the kingdom of Israel. There were Rehoboam was going to continue on with the two southern tribes. That would be Judah and a tribe that was just adjacent to it, Benjamin. And that would be referred to as the kingdom of Judah. And so Israel is, as a whole, the nation, is on its way to be split in ten and in two. So a few things that we, we were going to see of Rehoboam, four things actually, verses 1 through 15, we'll see that he was egotistical. Secondly, we're going to see that he was exasperated. Thirdly, we'll see that he was exceptionally shrewd. And then fourthly, we'll see that he was extraordinary apostate. So first, we see this man who is extremely egotistical in verses 1 through 5, back in Second Chronicles chapter 10. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then they sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Come back to me after three days. And the people departed. And so Rehoboam had to know that there's something, there ha, he had a sense the division that existed with the northern kingdoms. Once again, he probably, Dad Solomon probably told him of what was going to happen, of this kingdom becoming divided. And so he goes to Shechem. Why would he go to Shechem for his coronation? Well, Shechem is considered to be the capital of the northern kingdom. And back then it was a very major city. And so if you wanted to influence those tribes up in the north, that's where you would do it. So more than likely, that's why he is gathering there. And so we have here a king, a leader, and he's to be the one who makes decisions for the benefit of the people. Whenever the leader starts to make decisions for his own benefit, the people are going to suffer and division is going to be wrought. Abraham said in the Gettysburg Address at the ending of it, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Abraham Lincoln knew it wasn't about him or any other leader. It was about the people, and that's where the focus was to be. Well, little did Rehoboam know or probably even care, but again, his kingdom was already in the process of being tor torn from him. The process starts long before the realization comes. And so God had told 
Solomon through the prophet again, back in 1 Kings, I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, the ten tribes. But I can't believe that if Rehoboam, because we know the nature of God and we know the word of God, if Rehoboam comes humbly before God and repents, that God would be gracious. The first words that we have recorded of John the Baptist is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We're told in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that Jesus went preaching the doctrine of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We've added things, we've taken things away, but the fact of the matter is God's design for salvation is that first and foremost, man would come to the knowledge that he is a sinner and that he would repent. It's why when we share our faith, we have to bring people to the knowledge that they are sinners. We don't want them just to make a decision for Christ, just to make a decision for Christ, because if you're unaware of your sinful nature, what kind of decision for Christ are you really making? But it's all about repenting of your sins, and then it's submitting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ as we see how he has commanded us to live it through his word. And so repentance, repentance is key. We even see in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, those people who are in rebellion to God, those people have taken the mark of the Antichrist and are worshiping the Antichrist. It says, and they did not repent. Now, they did not repent as they were suffering from these cataclysmic events. That tells me that they did not repent, but they could have repented. And so there's an opportunity to get right with God that Rehoboam just isn't taking. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, if you confess that you're a sinner, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, he's speaking, John is speaking to believers here, but that does work for unbelievers as well. But as far as we are concerned, we know the nature of God. If you're a born-again believer, you've experienced the love of God, you've experienced the grace of God, you've experienced the nature of God. And why wouldn't you repent? Now, you had Adam who didn't, instead of repenting, what did he do? He went and hid in the bushes. But as we understand, because of the cross, the love of God and the nature of God, those sins that I've committed, I need to be upfront with. I need to be quick to give them over to the Lord, to acknowledge them. Because again, when we do so, especially when we do so vocally, that the idea is, is that we're going on record. Not that I need to speak to anybody else. I need to repent before our holy God. And again, if we're faithful to repent, he's faithful to forgive. So there's always that opportunity to make change. And keep this in the back of your mind when it comes to a role of leadership, as I've said so many times, looking at this example of Rehoboam, we're all leaders. And keep in mind this as well, Jeroboam, Jeroboam's going to fail just as miserably, miserably as Rehoboam did. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, all leaders, all parents, whoever, would do well to remember, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, obviously, Rehoboam didn't have that verse, but he would have been well to heed what it has to say. Solomon, he's busy building the temple. He's building his own house. He's building the kingdom. And from north to south, when we were in Israel, we saw some of the works that he did. 
That took a lot of labor back there. Didn't have the machinery we had today. And so he worked these people and he worked them hard. It's expensive. He probably taxed them as well. And now they're saying, okay, now, now that your dad is gone and, and his work is, is for the most part complete, you need to back off on, on pushing the people. You need to have a heart for the people because what needed to be done has been achieved. And so that's what they're entreating him for. Verse 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever." But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chase you with scourges." So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. And so as far as pulling back, as far as being kind, as far as ministering to these people, and in actuality even further than that, acknowledging their place in the building of the kingdom, He refused to do that, and as he refused to do that, he refused them, and as he refused them, they refused his kingdom. And so he was one of those people who didn't really want to hear what was necessary. He just simply wanted to hear what he wanted to hear, and he conducted his kingdom, his leadership role in the flesh, and so this is the result of that. And Proverbs 20. For six, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety, but you must be very careful in the counselors that you choose. Another important point, the necessity for open communication in older and younger generations must be considered. It's why a long time, well, I say a long time ago, quite a few years ago, we made the determination to have the high schoolers in the sanctuary for every communion. Communion is a picture of Christian unity. The idea is even as we eat of the same loaf and drink out of the same wine bottle, if you will, with the juice, juice bottle, uh, there's a unity in that. And it's Christ and it's Christ in us. And my desire in doing that is to bring the high schoolers in the sanctuary, number one, so the sanctuary is not a strange place for them to be. It's to bridge that gap between older and younger generations. Now, as all I've done is I've set the stage for that to happen. It's up for the parents to follow through. I've heard some complaints that it's boring in there. I don't want to go in there with the older people. Sometimes you just got to you just got to do. And again, there's an opportunity to keep kids rooted within the church and to see the church grow organically from within and to see these kids rise up and be part of the body of Christ. And that's the intent for the purpose of unity. 
In Proverbs 20, 29, it says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. I don't have really much of anything on my head, but what I do have there is gray, and I'm starting to realize that. And so the foolish king, he decides for himself rather than deciding for the people. What should have done, what should have been done by Rehoboam is, is to know the will of God. And how would he have done that? By going to the word of God. And you don't see him doing it. And really what you have here is, is a breakdown in this process that God established. We saw it back in the book of Exodus and we saw it in Deuteronomy. It's a concept that develops there, but God's intended progression. His intended progression would be for the prophet. Prophet to hear God's word and to give God's word. The priest, he would digest God's word and he would teach God's word. There was the prince. He would take God's word from the priest who received it from the prophet and then the prince would take it and that's how he would govern and the people would be beneficiaries of God's word. Well, what do we have here? We've got the words from those unwise counselors and the word from this king who is not going to be long for ruling this kingdom as a whole. Verses 16 into chapter 11, verse 4, we see that Rehoboam was exasperated. Verse 16, Now when all Israel saw the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel, all the twelve or ten tribes, departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was in charge of the revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste and fled to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. So he saw this as an act of treason. And so what he couldn't achieve, really what he destroyed in the flesh... Now he's attempting to restore in the flesh. But again, if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 11, we see that, well, this is God's will, this is God's desire, and you're not going to be able to overcome God's desire. Now, it doesn't overcome God's desire, but again, if he would have repented, he would fall upon the grace of God. Verse 3 says, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. King Solomon had sought to kill him, but now what King Solomon had feared is coming to pass. Solomon... Solomon isn't coming up against Jeroboam, or Rehoboam is not coming up against Jeroboam for a godly reason. He's just simply coming up against him to try to maintain everything that he had. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Quote, simple quote, it was from an unknown person. It's a desperate man who fights against God, and that's what Rehoboam is doing. And again, we can do the same thing when we see things are going upside down. Those times when God is trying to get our attention.
Christian and we in the flesh try to maintain a family, try and maintain a relationship or whatever it might be, seek the word of God. God has given us everything that is necessary for holiness and seeking to do his will. As far as training up a child, it's in here. Difficult child, it's there. As far as our lives, when we fail, it's in there. When we're doing well, it's in there also. Everything that is necessary for godliness in this age is in here. And you see the supreme example in our day. Look at our nation as we have rejected this, as we, our nation as a whole, as it has rejected the word of God. And even worldwide. And we see the situation of the world and how desperate it is today, how confused it is today, and how in disarray it is. The one unifying factor throughout all of the ages has always been the word of God. If you were able to look at the kingdoms of the world, those who were of the Lord and not of the Lord, you would see as those who went contrary to God's word, they failed. Those who went according to God's word, they prevailed. And another common thing is those who did go according to God's word at some point, they wandered away and great was their fall. And so we can take that into the United States of America. Proper biblical morals were the cornerstone of this nation and this nation did well. But after 200 plus years, our nation has moved away from that and we're not doing so well anymore. There's divisions in this nation, there's confusions in this nation, and there's disarray in this nation. The next thing we see about Rehoboam was he was exceptionally shrewd. So now he's going to try and maintain this. He's going to do everything possible within his power to hold things together. It says, so Rehoboam, verse 5, so Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. So he's concerned about the north coming and attacking him. God told him not to attack the north, but what happens if the north comes and attacks me? And so what is he doing? He's building these cities for the purpose of protection. If you skip down to verse 13, and from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. Well, part of that reason was is because Jeroboam was instituting a means of worshiping God, <clears throat> excuse me, that was contrary to God. What was Jeroboam concerned about? Well, there's those feasts that the people are commanded to go to Jerusalem. But if the people go to Jerusalem, what happens if they don't come back? Matter of fact, they're told to go pay their taxes there. And what happens if they go there and pay their taxes? What are we going to do? So this man, Jeroboam, who started in the spirit, he right away turns and starts going towards the flesh. And he institutes this system of false worship or or, or worshiping false gods. And he as well turned his heart away from the Lord. So just as Jeroboam, I'm sorry, Rehoboam is trying to act shrewdly. Jeroboam, at the same time, we're told this in 1 Kings, was doing basically the same thing. Looking over at verse 23, it says, speaking of Rehoboam, he dealt, he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. And so these Young men who he has influence, his children, who can you trust better than your children, he's dispersing them around and he's taking care of them. Why? Because again, he's trying to make sure, he's trying to maintain the safety of the kingdom that he has left. He did a lot, he acted shrewdly, but still something is missing. 
Now again, the priests, the priests from the north have come down to the south because of that false worshiping system. And the priests are sacrificing, but we don't see Rehoboam ever once again seeking the Lord or seeking the will of the Lord. Kind of like what we see leaders even today in the world who seeks the Lord, very few of them. Turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. There's a concept here that I'd like to visit. Chapter 16, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Keep in mind how Rehoboam seeking to rectify this situation, or at least protect his kingdom in a shrewd manner. In Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1, Jesus, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Steward is a man who takes care of the riches of somebody else. There is a steward, and he had an accusation brought to him that this man was, that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking my stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And so he's talking about here is this man trying to protect a worldly kingdom or the steward, his earthly job. He's dealing shrewdly, but how are we with the things of the Lord? How are they, we? How are, how are we reaching out? How are we using our finances? How are we, how are we dealing with the things that God has given us? And, and again, bring that into our marriages, bring that into our home, bring that to every area where we have some sort of influence. Not are we manipulating people or trying to fool people, but how are we dealing shrewdly? How are we using our mind for the good of the gospel? Verse 9, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by, I'm, so, I'm sorry, may I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you trust of true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is, uh, what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, unfortunately for Rehoboam, he's more concerned with his earthly kingdom, and never do we see I shouldn't say never, because there is an opportunity or a time when he does seem to be a bit of repentant, but nonetheless, he's a man who is trying to deal with the situation according to his wisdom and according to his own strength. 
Fourth thing we see about Rehoboam, he was extraordinary apostate. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom. So finally, he's feeling comfortable with himself and the situation such as it is. It says, and he had strengthened himself. And so he's feeling secure with the situation. You would think it would say, then he sought after the Lord, but it says, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. So... It's not that he was really following in dedication beforehand, but now he's completely forsaken the law of the Lord. And then we see how he has influenced those who look to him as a leader, and they are following in kind. Just as we saw in our study in the Minor Prophets so many years ago, looking at the scriptures, and especially when it comes to the law, especially when it comes to a believer, to have this viewpoint when it comes to a born-again believer in this age of grace and looking at the elements of the commandments and the things that are even commanded us today in the Old Testament, we need to have this view. As far as the breaking of God's law, in God's sight, even with Israel, because he knew they couldn't keep it, but it was never about man breaking God's law. It was always about man breaking God's heart and that we would always have a heart for the Lord. And that was David's testimony. He was, had that testimony of not of perfectly keeping the law of God. He did anything but. But what did God say in Acts chapter 13, verse 22? That David was a man after his own heart. Solomon, we see that he broke God's law as well. Although, if he truly is the author of Ecclesiastes, he seemed to have come back where he needed to be. With Rehoboam, we just don't see him that happening It's not that God is jealous of us, but God is truly jealous for us. God so desires that relationship and that we would have a heart to be well-pleasing to him. How much more so, as we sit in this room, as born-again believers here tonight? Are we conducting lives that are well-pleasing to God? Far be it that we would break the heart of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 10 through 11 says, Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we live? This is a picture of what's going on in Rehoboam's life. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Now again, we're in chapter 12. Look at verses 5 through 8. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishank. Shishank is Pharaoh over Egypt. Remember when Solomon threatened to kill Jeroboam? Jeroboam fled to Egypt, and this man, Shishank, he took him under his wing. Well, Jeroboam has come back, and again, the northern kingdom is established, and I have to imagine he saw a weakness, but also probably in cahoots with Jeroboam, there's this man, Shishank, and he is threatening him now. He says, they gathered together in Jerusalem, still in verse 5, because of Shishank, And said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I have left you in the hands of Shishank. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves 
and they said, the Lord is righteous. So we see this outward act of repentance here, finally. Verse 7, Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to uh, Shemamiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishang. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may dis- that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nation. And so he's wanting them to understand what a gracious taskmaster God is, but what a cruel taskmaster the world is. Also, we see another concept here as far as sin is concerned. Although we repent and we have full forgiveness, there's still going to be the repercussions of the things that we have done. And so God has told Rehoboam, I'm going to keep this king, the king of Egypt, from coming into Jerusalem and destroying your whole kingdom, Because remember, he was trying to maintain it in the flesh, building cities, setting suns. But now here's this power that they can do nothing about. But God's saying, although I am going to put you under tribute to him, I will not have him destroy you. And then lastly, what we see with Rehoboam is the same thing that happens to all leaders. It's the same thing that happens to all kings. He expired, verses 13 through 16. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naaman uh, the Ammonitus, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemamiah, the prophet, and Idu, the seer, concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all of their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. And so, again, you see part of the problem and Rehoboam's genealogy. He was the son of Solomon. Son, he was in the essence of his father. Again, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, And so it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Just as dad did, so did Rehoboam do. He went after other gods. And then we saw his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, tells the king, tells the people, not to marry outside of Israel and again, that's what Solomon did. But you can kind of imagine maybe Solomon's excuse. Can't we make an exception here? Because just look at her. Naema, it means loveliness. And I would imagine, again, the flesh overcame the spirit. Solomon sinned and the women that he chose. So something needed to happen in Rehoboam's life. The same thing that needs to happen in all of our lives. He should have given a full repentance in coming to the Lord. There was a situation that he repented, and God delivered for that from his situation. But we see nowhere where he gave of his life to the Lord. And at the very end, we see that through the rest of his life, he and Jeroboam, there were wars that went on between them. Probably when it says that, it means battles that raged between them. Probably border skirmishes is what was going on for the most part. But there was no peace in this man's life. And there will never be peace in anybody's life apart from God. And especially a born-again believer. 
as we conduct our lives contrary to the scriptures, as we conduct our lives according to our will, as we attempt to put our fingers in the various holes that leak forth, as we do that, there's never going to be peace in that life. There's peace in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him. And the very first thing that we have in that is the trust that we have, that he has dealt with our sins. He has dealt with our sins in heavens and that our name is on the roll. But he's also dealt with my sins here on earth, that again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if I'm faithful to repent, he's faithful to forgive. There's going to be ramifications from the sins that we commit. But God is the God of starting over. Remember in Zechariah, if you start over with me, God said, I'll start over with you. And God's always there, and his hand is always held out. It's the same thing that Isaiah said, in that his anger was directed towards Israel, but still, his hand was always held out. And his hand is always held out to the believer today. And God has always given us that opportunity that if we're willing to start over with him, if we're willing to make that decision that today, this or that, whatever it might be, it stops. Today is going to be the day, Lord, that that I'm going to stop ignoring you. Today's going to be the day that I'm truly going to submit my life to you. The, the, the sins that I haven't even been admitting to myself, today's the day that I'm going to acknowledge them, repent of them, and seek a new start with you, Lord. And again, we do that based upon the graciousness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's that knowing that as I come before God, I come before God naked. I, I can't hide the thing. And the graciousness of God or the goodness of God, well, I know that God is not going to judge me on the spot. I know that God is not going to hurt me as far as spiritually speaking, but I know that God is going to be open to me, open to my coming back to him, open to my desires for right standing with him, that I would not have the testimony of Rehoboam or even Jeroboam or any of the others that follow. Not all of the southern kings were bad, but all the northern kings were bad, and that I would have right standing with God. And if there's messes that have been passed down through the ages in my family, through whatever it might be, that I would make the determination, male or female, that as far as the remainder of my family, they're going to stop with me, that I'm going to get right with God. And if I have passed any of those things through to the younger generations, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm going to minister to them, and I'm going to meet them where they are at, Because I understand just as surely as God met me where I am at through another party, God will meet them and he'll use me as well. And as we have that confidence, we see that God restores the breaches within our lives. And again, it's the beauty of the Lord. And it's just such a shame because you can see with David, none of that, if he just would have repented and stopped. And some of those things David even knew, or or, um, uh, what's his general? Joab. Joab was telling him that don't number the people. And if he just would have recognized what God's will was, gone back to his word and realized that, I just think of some of the influence upon Solomon that could have stopped. But Solomon could have stood, stood up and said, no more. Even his dad multiplied wives. I'm not going to multiply wives. I'm not going to multiply riches. And I'm not going to multiply strength or, or horses. Because simply the word of God tells him not to do it. But he did it anyway. And he still had opportunity to repent, but never do we see him truly repenting, although maybe we see the fruits of that in some of his writings later. Just don't know. It's the hard thing to tell when somebody is in sin and rebellion to God. And Rehoboam, he's not going to be able to stand before God and say it was grandpa's fault or it was my father's fault. He's going to stand before a holy God and give an account for himself, just as we all do. 
I thank God we live in this great age of grace that we understand that as many as receive him, John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's where our genealogy lies. It's through Jesus Christ and our right relationship with him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these stories. They're not just stories. They're the truths that have been given to us. But these examples, Lord, of those who were in your word, who had a heart after you, and those who didn't, those who failed, and those who were in sin and held on to their sin and were judged because of their sin. And so, Father, as we look at these examples, I pray, Lord, that you would make them real within our lives and that we would make an evaluation and decisions as far as, based upon who you are, how we are going to conduct our lives. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you forgive sin. And I just pray, Father, if there's anybody here who's dealing with something that is overwhelming them, I pray that they would recognize the goodness of God. And I pray that that recognition of God's goodness would lead you to repentance, and repentance would lead you to the freedom that God has for you. And so, Father, we just thank you for this evening. We just pray, Lord, that you would bless us because we have come. Enable us, Father, to be an example to those in the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand, please? We are still taking sign-ups for the Valentine's Banquet. When I say that, we're taking sign-ups for people to attend. But we also have a need for people to serve there as well. So if anybody's not attending, if you're able to serve, that would be a blessing. Other than that, God bless you guys. I will see you Thursday night. everyone how great the love the love come down from heaven's gate to kiss the earth with hope and grace sing who is this king of glory the lord strong and mighty who is this king of glory the lord strong and mighty Lift up your hands, be lifted up Let the redeemed declare the love And we bow down at heaven's gate To kiss the feet of hope and grace Sing, who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. There is one God, He is holy. There is one Lord over everything. There is one King, He is Jesus. King of glory, strong and mighty. There is one God, He is holy. There is one Lord over glory, the Lord strong and mighty.
time but hey there you have it <laughs> god bless you guys have a wonderful evening <laughs>